The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Welcome to Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente, and we're back, and I'm joined by my co-host, the Libra icon, Dwayne. What's going on, Dwayne? Nothing much. It is great to be back talking sports with you and the people, and let's get into it. I'm ready. After a long hiatus of pandemic, social uprising... I just didn't know when would be a proper time to kind of bring this show back. But uh, I figured, you know, six months or so would probably be good enough. So here we are going to dive into the most recent happenings, which would be LeBron James and the L.A. Lakers capturing the Lakers 17th title, tying the Boston Celtics for the most in NBA history. Um that's uh, one of the most interesting facts. The NBA is like 77, 78 years old or something like that. And the Lakers and Celtics have won like over half the championships. But um, that's another another topic to delve into for another day. Uh, LeBron winning his fourth championship. Anthony Davis getting his first. Uh, Rajon Rondo getting his second. Danny Green getting his third quietly back-to-back two years in a row, two different teams. So that's good, uh, good timing and good agenting by his agent and Danny Green. Uh, so just uh, your thoughts on the Lakers as a whole, and then we'll kind of get into the series and then talk about the bubble uh, as far as the NBA was concerned, uh, the way that they finished the season up. Yeah, well, you know, being a Celtics fan, I'm not happy about it, but it is what it is. Um this was, I mean, the Lakers were the best in the West all season long. I don't want to hear anything about the Clippers. We'll get into that in a second because I know that's a huge, that's actually part of the equation here. Um, but they were the best in the West all season long. Probably the, uh, you know, best team in the NBA, probably better than the best in the East, um, Milwaukee. But, I mean, 57-0 after leading going into the fourth quarter, it was – that's truly remarkable. And the way they were assembled, it was – it was was pretty much, you know, they they got the guys they needed uh, around LeBron and Anthony Davis and and the way Frank Vogel was able to, you know – keep everything copacetic. That's really all they had to do. And and uh, this series should have been over maybe a lot quicker than it was. But, you know, shout out to Jimmy Butler. He was a, he was a true competitor uh, in the series. Um, this was, I think, game five where he played 47 to 48 minutes. That was probably his last stand in a sense. And, you know, the Heat just didn't have it in game six. The Lakers just came out and just destroyed Miami in the first half. And I think the will was just taken at that point. Uh, Adebayo, Dragic, they were not 100% the whole series. Uh, that was a factor, but hats hats off to the Lakers from my journalistic standpoint, uh, from my fan standpoint, blah, but it is what it is. So, I like to commend Frank Vogel because I was definitely one of these people who was like, oh, man, you got Jason Kidd right there waiting in the wings if this thing goes super bad. He's just going to be the first person that gets lopped off. And uh, he didn't allow that to happen to himself. He uh, did a very good job coaching that team this year. Even with their lack of outside shooting, uh, he managed to 
you know, uh, figure out enough ways and get the right guys open at key times to make some big shots. Uh, so I'd just like to give first and foremost uh, shouts out to Frank Vogel for his coaching. I think when LeBron wins championships, a lot of times the coaches don't get enough credit. So I think we need to start kind of giving these coaches a lot of credit for getting a talent like LeBron to be able to, you know, work and mesh with, you know, all the other players that they had there. You know, Rondo's not the best shooter. He's getting up in age. He's a veteran player, but he's a great playmaker still. Danny Green, um, you know, even though it didn't show up in game five, he, you know, can make open shots. Um, you know, veteran presence, D, you know, three and D guy. Uh, they had the, you know, kind of double-headed backup center with JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard, you know, playing their roles uh, to a T. So just a lot of moving parts that I think Frank Vogel massaged and managed excellent, excellently this year. So he should get a lot of credit. Um, I'd like to give, uh, you know, a lot of credit to LeBron for making sure that Anthony Davis was the focal point of the season. And he only stepped up and did LeBron things when it was called on throughout these playoffs. Uh, this is the first time we've actually seen him playing with a capable post player. We've already seen him with another wing and where he's still had kind of had to dominate the ball and be the post presence too. But this is the first time we've ever gotten to see him kind of not be that guy that has to dominate the lane. And it was very uh, intriguing to watch him and Anthony Davis there uh, play on the court with each other. Uh, Frank Vogel with Jason Kidd used a lot of that Princeton offense where they used a lot of Anthony Davis at the elbow, LeBron, you know, getting picks off of that. And then, you know, Anthony Davis diving hard to the rim. It's very hard to stop because you can't double team at that elbow spot right there, especially with LeBron coming off the pick and roll. So they did a lot of things that, you know, the old New Jersey Nets used to do under Jason Kidd, uh, old, um, uh, Sacramento Kings with Chris Weber and Blake Divac as well. So if you're a student of just basketball plays, you probably saw a lot of that Princeton offense ran by the Lakers, which is funny because um, when they tried to run that before with LeBron, the Princeton offense, they clowned it. And when they had Kevin Love in Cleveland, they never gave it a chance to really manifest the way that they did here with Anthony Davis. But uh, I think it's the perfect offense for LeBron just because he's so versatile and he always makes the right play. So, yeah, I just thought the Lakers well coached and uh, the guy showed up in game six. Like you said, Jimmy Butler um, left everything he had on in that bubble in game five when he was leaning over that barrier getting ready to shoot those free throws. It's been a long time since I've seen in a regular 48-minute game an NBA player that visibly winded. And it was just like, man, if they don't win another game, this will go down as, you know, probably his best game that he's played uh, as an NBA professional. So shout-out to Jimmy Butler. Shout-out to the Heat. I think that's kind of what will be the lasting image of this is just the, the Heat um, the heat and probably the Denver Nuggets, even though the Lakers were the champions. I think they made the biggest impressions on people as far as coming into next year and people being excited of what to watch. Uh, just the young players from the Heat, uh, Tyler Hero, um, Duncan Robinson. Uh, Kendrick Nunn, unfortunately, did not have the best playoff, uh, but he's an up-and-coming player as well. Uh, Bam out of Bayou as well. So, you know, the Heat definitely have a bright future ahead. And then uh, over to the Denver Nuggets and Jamal Murray. And coming back from two three-to-one deficits to force a game seven and win both games. Um, just just the scoring duel he had with Donovan Mitchell in the first round. Uh, I think a lot of people may not have heard of or knew who Jamal Murray was or kind of forgot who he was since he's out in Denver. But, yeah, he's definitely put himself on the map uh, after this year's yes. playoffs. Absolutely. Uh, and that second round with the Clippers, I mean, that pretty much signaled the end of Doc's era, or basically reviving that franchise from the – ashes of Donald Sterling as well uh, philosophical differences between him and Steve Ballmer as well right uh, and Doc Rivers biggest thing is is he has a tough time closing out 
series and making the necessary adjustments from game to game. He's one of those, if we do what we do, we'll be fine type of coaches. You can tell. And when another team makes a drastic counter, like Denver started doing with their defenses there in the uh, in like the third and fourth game, you never saw them know how to react or make a, that the next counter move back. You know, with he just kind of you know, says, hey, I've got the better talent. My talent should 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 win out. But when you get in the playoffs and you play so many games in a row back to back and things like that, you got to keep up with the changes. You know, when this coach does something drastically, you can't let it continue to get you for two or three games. You know, you might get it for one game, but the next game you got to be prepared for it. And it just doesn't seem like Doc Rivers does that, especially when he's winning in a series three to one. I mean, it's like the third this time. Is- he yeah, lost the series up three to one. Poor Tracy McGrady never got out of the first round. Right, uh, uh, Magic, yeah. and then <laughs> the Clippers with Paul nice. and Griffin. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then and then this uh, with uh, Kawhi and Paul George. So, uh, and that kind of worries me for the Sixers because they have all that talent with Brett Brown. He got fired, and now they hired Doc Rivers, and it's like... Well, something to me, just about the way he coaches, he's more of an Eastern Conference coach, I think. He seems to... I mean, granted, you know, he did have a decade-plus of unbridled success for the Clippers organization, uh, but as far as they're concerned. He got them to the Western Conference Finals uh, once, but they never really seemed like they were meeting their expectations, right? Right. But I think that's because the West is a more high-flying, high-octane uh, division of basketball. Whereas, like a run-and-gun style. Right, whereas Doc Rivers is more of a grind-you-out, play-good-defense, tough, rebound. You know, that's right. why guys like Montreal Harrell do so good under him because, you know, it's all about gritty and being dirty and nasty. And I think that's more of an Eastern Conference basketball type of type of motif. And I think that in Philadelphia, that style of basketball will definitely endure uh, the team to the crowd. If if they play that way, hard that's, tough defense, that's, good rebounding. That's gonna be my thing. Do they have the personnel to play that style? I mean, I mean, Simmons. He seems more finesse. Um, and then you know, Embiid plays. He play. I mean, he can play all three levels, but he's been more stretching the floor. So can. And now Horford does the same thing. So can they, can they adjust to that gritty style, and be that, be that team that can suit that style? They're gonna have to improve improve their shooting if they want to play that style. You can't play that rugged style and and not have anybody who can't who can shoot on your team. So they're definitely gonna have to address that in the off season. Um, getting two or three capable shooters where when they do start to double team and clog up the paint, they do have reliable guys out there who can make shots. But I, I just think they have a couple of tweaks they need to do to their roster. And I think Philly will be right back in the mix. Um, they're probably the team that got hurt the most by the pandemic because Ben Simmons, you know, was hurt and in, in the in the bubble. Um, they never really seemed to be clicking during the season. And then that, right when they started kind of playing better, uh, we had to shut things down. So I just never thought that they really were all all systems go when we started this. Uh, I think, uh, you know, getting back to the Clippers as a disappointment. Also a disappointment would be Milwaukee. Um, oh, yeah. Just I think that their biggest downfall was – they didn't have Malcolm Brogdon on their team anymore. Um, they they just needed somebody to be able to take that pressure off of Giannis, somebody who could make good decisions with the ball, get guys where they're supposed to be in the right positions. Um, I know that Eric Bledsoe is a bigger name and probably a flashier player, but he was a, he's not better suited for what Milwaukee is about than Malcolm Brogdon was. And I think him – 
playing for Indiana this year really hurt them, Milwaukee Bucks, in the playoffs. Um, There's still maybe one more player away because Middleton failed to step up um, when he was definitely needed to be called upon. Um, You know, Giannis, jumper never really, you know, showed up in the bubble the way it had kind of throughout the season where he was at least becoming more consistent with his three-point shooting. He was taking better shots and making more, but neither of those uh, seemed to seem to pop up and you know they just they just flamed out <laughs> and also another just you know tip of the cap to the heat and Jimmy Butler um, you know people thought that they were overmatched and they zoned him up made him shoot from the outside kept Giannis out of the paint kept him lower than the free throw line didn't let him get below the free throw line and uh, made him shoot, you know, those jump shots from just outside his comfort zone, and yeah. and they rebounded well. So, yeah. um, I think, and I think that just shows how good of a coach Eric Spolster is. I think a lot of people probably forgot about how good of a coach he was when he had the big three, but the man can really coach. I mean, he's a Pat Riley disciple. He's been a student of that organization practically his whole career as a coach and assistant and so I think I give him a lot of credit for that as well because he really outcoached Mike Budenholzer as a top disciple. Let's get another coach who might finally start to get a little heat underneath his seat. Your guy, Brad Stevens. Um, Another year, great regular season. Um, as far as, you know, one through eight or nine, maybe the most talented team in the Eastern Conference, and yet no finals appearance. Snuffed out again in the Eastern Conference final. I think, uh, you know, the the telling play will probably always be Bam throwing Jason Tatum's dunk back at him. Um, it's probably one of the most spectacular defensive plays you'll ever see uh, in the NBA playoffs, especially on defense, um, you know, next to that LeBron block uh, in game seven. I mean, that was just a series-changing, altering play where it went from look like a sure Boston win to denied at the rim. Yeah, I think I think that – and I really don't – I really hope it's not the – peak of Brad Stevens getting to the conference finals and just uh, flaming out at the end because I think he's he's a he's a very good coach. He's been a great coach for this team in particular. Uh, but they're they're gonna have to find some they're gonna have to I think it's kinda like similar to Doc in terms of, you know, adjusting to the adjustments and there's not enough adjusting to that point and you know, relying on the hard work beats talent when the talent doesn't work harder than the hard workers. And when you get outworked, that talent is not going to be as effective. So, uh, you know, not making any excuses for it because I think with this team and you know, this team that got there with Cleveland, I mean, that was a young and experienced team that kind of just learned on the fly and got there. But this is a more experienced group. And, and you know, are they maybe another player away? Possibly. Uh, just have to see what kind of adjustments Danny Ainge will make in that regard. Uh, I don't think he's going to... I don't think he's going to put the axe on Brad, but I, I would say if, you know, the Celtics don't get there maybe within the next couple of years, then you might have to consider trying to find somebody who can get them over the top. And we'll close it out by going back to the very beginning of the playoffs where the two standout stars were clearly uh, Porzingis and Damian Lillard. 
Uh, both just putting on spectacular scoring displays. Uh, Damian Lillard throughout the bubble because Portland had to basically play themselves into the playoffs. And he just went on an incredible streak of scoring 30 or more points in like 10 or 11 straight games before he got well, slowed down. Shout out to the Grizzlies for their collapse in the bubble, too. <laughs> uh, uh, before he has to come to a knee injury in the Lakers series and uh, basically had the Lakers on the ropes. At least they had a little scare in the Lakers there when Dame was hot. And then uh, Porzingis, a, a game winner, a uh, couple triple doubles, you know, setting marks for, you know, youngest player to, to do this and do that. So, I mean, not, not Porzingis, excuse me, but Luka. Luka yeah, Luka Doncic, excuse me. So, um, you know, a couple more players who, you know, need to get some shine as we, you know, take a broad view of the bubble. They were definitely the stars of the beginning of this um, grand experiment that the NBA took upon. And I would like to commend Adam Silver and those guys for uh, what they pulled off. Um, they had a couple of defectors, you know, people were getting stir crazy. They just had to see something besides the inside of the Disney world. But as far as, you know, people contracting the virus and spreading the virus, no positive cases. So they definitely get a tip of the cap from me for all that, that they did to keep people safe. Absolutely. And then also, because Booker played out of his mind during the, those eight games as well. Yeah, Devin Booker. And yeah. Phoenix was Phoenix was a threat. Yeah, Phoenix was definitely a threat uh, down the stretch, and and yeah, that was very impressive. I think it just shows if you give if you give people, you know, you restrict them, but you give them what they they need, then you are pretty much going to be successful. So it was definitely a good success uh, the way they they had this. Um, it does also suck for the eight teams that got omitted from the omitted from this process, but given the circumstances, that's just what had to happen. Of course, you know, out of 22, the Hornets were the 23rd team, and they were out of it. So, but... This was a great success in the grand scheme of things with the 22 teams that were there. All right, all right. This is Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente. I'm here with my co-host, the Libra Icon. Now we're about to shift over. We're about a quarter of the way into the NFL season. Most teams have played five games at this point. Some teams have only played four, Tennessee Titans three, uh, due to, you know, uh, various circumstances due to the COVID-19 uh, popping up all around the league. But we'll keep it, uh, we'll first do very micro-level things as we'll start with your Carolina Panthers, Mr. Lieber Icon. Got off to a slow start, lost Christian McCaffrey in a winnable game at Tampa Bay. And since then, they've done nothing but win. So they've got now a 3-2 and two record. And Matt Rule's first season, Teddy Bridgewater, uh, everything is advertised, smart, accurate, good decision-making. Um, Robbie Anderson has been a revelation coming over from the Jets. Defense, not as bad as people thought it was going to be. Looks like it may be rounding into shape here. They've actually uh, been impressive the last two weeks uh, coming up with big turnovers when they need to in crunch time. So just your assessment, sir, of your version of the Carolina Panthers first year without Ron Rivera and Cam Newton at the helm. Well, going into this, I was... Going to, and then going into this, I was not expecting much. I maybe thought maybe, especially given the circumstances and the and the offseason train, I'm like maybe, you know, we can get three or four, or five, six wins tops. Uh, but I, especially with the draft player, they drafted nothing but defense. Uh, defensive players, and I'm like, okay. So I see they were satisfied with the offense, the guy, the playmakers that, that we do have, led by Christian McCaffrey, Curtis Samuel, DJ Moore, uh, Ian Thomas, a tight end, and probably the best free agent pickup, and that nobody talks about is uh, Robbie Anderson as well. Um, 
I think that this team is really coming together. The defense has been – the defense has definitely come around. They, it's a lot of the things that I would see under Ron Rivera, I don't see as much with Matt Rule, especially kind of like the – you know, they play more man than they do zone. Uh, they definitely work harder on defense. The run defense is still – a weakness, but it is getting better, but it still needs a lot of work. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater, his his yards, his completion percentage, and his his uh, touchdown passes have been way better than I could have imagined. I, I knew he was a special player uh, before the injury, and I think, you know, seeing what he can do, especially – I, I got nervous when he started running against the Cardinals because I'm like, please don't blow your knee, please don't blow your knee. But he had a nice little juke and he had a great gain and and it was, you know, just seeing the decisions that he's making and him taking advantage of this, you know, the opportunity to be the starter. The offense under Joe Brady has been excellent. Phil Snell, the defensive coordinator, he's done a great job. And this team is really gelling and and I would have never imagined that they would be in a three-way tie at this point with with the uh, Bucks and the Saints, you know. Coming into it, it's like Brady, Breeze, and Ryan. Okay, those three, and then you have the Panthers on the outside. But uh, it looks like, you know, the Panthers are right in the mix. And, you know, one of the rivals in the division is, you know, basically about to start over. Now we'll turn over to the Washington football team. Nothing but despair. They have moved on from Dwayne Haskins after four games. Um, just uh, nothing special um, in a division that is certainly winnable. Um, a quarterback that was maybe getting better week in and week out could have taken advantage of some things, maybe won a game or two more and be around 500. But, uh, you know, bad game against Cleveland where he had four of the five turnovers that the team had. Um, game against the Baltimore Ravens where they basically ran a college offense where everything was behind the line of scrimmage uh, to the receivers and running backs, nothing really down the field. And then the one play where he had to make a play down the field, he threw it on fourth and goal from like the 13, he threw it to the five, didn't even challenge the end zone. So, you know, I just think that Ron Rivera has been around greatness and a franchise quarterback in Cam Newton, and he knows what that looks like, and he knows what that development is like. And I don't think he saw that with Dwayne Haskins. So instead of, um, you know, going through those growing pains and all that blues and agony, he just decided to pull the plug, try to go to Kyle Allen. Um didn't start so good, but second drive, Kyle Allen got the team on a roll, went down, took a lead 7-6. Uh, to six. Uh, Defense, not so good, gave up a big uh, play for a touchdown. Then they come back, and uh, Kyle Allen gets knocked out of the game by Jalen Ramsey. And the, you know, Hallmark movie moment happens where Alex Smith has to jog on the field and play the remainder of the game, uh, his first action since the horrible broken leg that almost took his life and ended his career. Um, yeah, he was bad. So the game ended up being a, a butt whooping, but, you know, the feel-good story there was Alex Smith uh, uh, being able to play again and survive the game. Uh, the offensive line, atrocious. Um, luckily, that they did not get that man hurt. Uh, yeah, he was throwing, he was having a Dwayne Haskins type day. He was throwing everything to the running backs and receivers behind the line of scrimmage as well. So, um, I, I, I'm hoping that that was kind of Ron Rivera doing his preseason there. Those first four games saying, Hey, we're going to give Haskins a chance, live bullet, see if he gets better. Um, did not see the improvement they wanted to see. So now he's you know, unfortunately going to have to maybe make two quarterback moves as I don't know if you're going to keep Alex Smith off the field after he gets back on there, but we'll see how Kyle Allen is progressing uh, towards the weekend. 
but um defense hit or miss um they have very they have issues at linebacker they can't cover anybody they can't cover tight ends and they play terrible zone defense so that leaves the middle of the field vulnerable at all points in time so um they're gonna definitely have to do some upgrading there uh in the draft or through free agency uh safety is a little bit of a problem uh, if I was Ron Rivera, I would really think about trying to talk Landon Collins and being a linebacker next year, uh, being maybe a weak side linebacker and uh, using his, since he's not that good at coverage, but he is a very good tackler and he's very forceful in the run game. He might be better off there getting a little bit older in his career, but that's maybe something for next year. Me thinking creatively, try to make this team much better so I can enjoy my Sundays and root for a winner. Uh, speaking of winners, we have the Dallas Cowboys, but they might have been the ultimate losers on Sunday because Dak Prescott injured for the year, um, broke uh, dislocated ankle, compound fracture of his leg, um, just a very gruesome, gruesome injury, and uh, one that could be very devastating in the pocketbook as well for Dak as he was playing this year on the guaranteed um, franchise tag. So he did get the, I think it's like $28 million is in his pocket guaranteed for this year, but he has no contract coming into next year. He's going to have to try and negotiate a deal coming off a major, major surgery. So, you know, the dollar amounts that he's going to end up getting is going to be much less than, you know, he's he would have hoped for what he could have got. Uh, if he would take the deal, he was offered in the offseason. So your thoughts, uh, Dwayne, just on Dak Prescott, the injury, and kind of his future, and is it in Dallas or is it maybe somewhere else? I think it's going to be in Dallas. I think that – I think, you know, this – the only way I don't see it is in Dallas is if Andy Dalton goes on a 13-game, well, 11-game winning streak at this point. Um, I think that, if anything, we might see some kind of a contract, uh, uh, some kind of a deal met with with the Cowboys and Dak, but... I'm just trying to see where he could fit elsewhere. I mean, if the Giants ultimately throw the Daniel Jones experiment to the side, you know, maybe maybe that would be a move, um, given uh, his history with Giants OC, uh, Jason Garrett. But uh, I think he stays in Dallas. I don't, I don't see him moving anywhere else, but I uh, definitely want to – wish Dak a speedy recovery. Um, fortunately, seeing that replay on Red Zone, that was just, I, I had to turn away. It was just, it was bad. And, and you know, I just definitely hope that he gets well. And we'll just have to see how Dallas goes going forward with um, Andy Dalton. Your unbeatens are Pittsburgh, Green Bay, Tennessee. Um, I don't think I'm missing anybody. Emma? Uh, Pittsburgh, Tennessee. Green Bay. Green Bay. And that's it. Seattle. Seattle. And I think that's it. NFC East definitely doesn't have anybody unbeaten. NFC West doesn't have anybody unbeaten but Seattle. AFC West, everybody has a loss now. AFC Central, everybody has a loss but Pittsburgh. And AFC North, everybody has a loss now. So, yep, those are all your unbeatens. Um, who would you say, would anybody surprise you out of that list? Or do you think kind of for who who's left that's kind of on par? given everything ever since the Titans made the switch to Tannehill it, and the fit that Brian Tannehill has with this Titans offense, that's not really a surprise to me anymore. Um, I would say Pittsburgh and Green Bay 
I mean, Green Bay's defenses improved a great deal, and uh, Ben Roethlisberger, I think, a year off has done him well, uh, being back at 100% healthy. So I definitely think that this the Pittsburgh, there's really no surprises out of these three. I think the Titans kind of used being the poster boys for infections of COVID. I think they use that as a motivation against the outside noise, myself included, because I'm definitely one that said all week, all, all the last two weeks to quarantine the Titans. So, um, but yeah, definitely no no surprises at the end of the day and the undefeated amongst the undefeated teams. Teams that maybe are sort of uh, surprising right now, uh, Cleveland Browns, Arizona Cardinals, um, two teams that people were kind of wanted to get behind but weren't really sure how they would perform. Uh, Cleveland got off to kind of a rough start, but here they've won four games in a row um, or three games in a row. I can't remember, three or four games in a row. Um, Arizona, uh just had a little setback with the Panthers, but other than that, they've been pretty good. Uh, had a great game against the 49ers to open the season. So um, the, we have an extra team going to the playoffs this year due to the pandemic and the new rules and everything. Cleveland or Arizona? Both, one, or neither make the playoffs? Uh, let's see. I would say... I would say between the two, I would say Arizona has probably the better chance. Of course, they would need to get by Seattle uh, first and foremost, and even on the on the fringe, maybe the Rams as well. But I think Cleveland has a Cleveland. If they can beat Pittsburgh, then yes, they have a good opportunity as well. Um, so I would, I would say between those two, Arizona has the upper, the uh, better chance. But uh, Cleveland, if they can get by, if they can get by um, Pittsburgh and redeem themselves against Baltimore, then they definitely have a great chance. But it's really two feel-good stories for two franchises that have been, been, been downtrodden all, for all these years. Bill O'Brien, Dan Quinn, the first two coaches relieved of their duties this season. Uh, Dan, uh, Bill O'Brien, for obvious reasons, um, traded away Hopkins in the offseason, been struggling on offense uh, for his whole tenure in Houston, really struggling now, not getting any big plays, wonder why. And then Dan Quinn, failure to – Hold on to leads has been something that has haunted him since the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. Um, the onside kick gaff against Dallas, where his guys inexplicably just watch the ball spin and move 10 yards without anybody moving towards it. Um, <laughs> so uh, I'm pretty sure that it did your heart wonders to know that he got fired after they lost to the Carolina Panthers. Um Yes and no, actually. I would love to have seen them stay so they could blow more leads. Like, that's, that's very entertaining. What's more entertaining is seeing such a overconfident fan base like the Atlanta Falcons be heartbroken or frustrated. I mean, imagine if they won Super Bowl, we would never heard the end of it from Falcons fans. And so... I mean, I, I was glad Carolina got the win. Uh, you know, Justin Burris' interception of Matt Ryan, basically that was the fate of the Dan Quinn era in Atlanta. Uh, but this is a team that's really got they're at a they're at a huge crossroads now, like like uh they they're at a huge crossroads. It's really basically now where what direction are they gonna go in? Are they going to 
get a new franchise quarterback or are they going to stick with Matt Ryan through this new process? I mean, they, they got a salary cap situation where they have to, they're going to be over the salary cap, but you know, Rich McKay's got a lot of work to do getting a new GM. Uh, he's going to have to, that GM's either going to have to get a coach or McKay may get the coach first and the GM next. It is going to be a very, very interesting times in Atlanta. Um, you know, nothing's been the same since the Super Bowl uh, collapse. Dan Quinn went 24 and 29 in the game since the Super Bowl. And I, I think personally, he, he never recovered coaching wise, and the team just followed and never recovered. Uh, I think that was just the peak, and this has been a whole a big valley ever since. Couple more surprising teams, I think. Uh, the Las Vegas Raiders um, handed the Saints their, a loss. They also gave the Chiefs their first loss of the season. So John Gruden has the Raiders playing really good football. And the Chicago Bears. Shout out to Jay to the Max. Uh, they made a, co- uh, a quarterback change. They went with uh, Nick Foles away from Mitchell Trubisky. They just uh, had their first defeat this Sunday to the Colts. But uh, the Bears and uh, have been playing really good. And the Raiders as well. Um, just your thoughts on any other surprising teams that have caught your eye. Yeah, shout out to Jay to the Max, and also shout out to Seth Rollins too. Every single time the Bears win, he loves football. When they lose, he hates football, and I hope that I hope that he hates football after next Sunday when uh, the Bears go to Carolina. So, um, I would say I would say that the Bears are probably for me the biggest surprise aside from uh, Cleveland and. I would say that they are definitely a team that that um, has played very well, and I think they've played a lot better under Nick Foles. This is uh, a uh, team that needed a quarterback change for a very long time. They finally got that quarterback change. And I think also one team that we forget to mention, too, is the Buffalo Bills. Uh, I mean, even though they got destroyed by Tennessee yesterday and Josh Norman got destroyed by Derrick Henry, uh, but, you know, they got off to a great 4-0 start before last night. Uh, Josh Allen's been playing lights out, and... You know, we, I mean, the, crit, the critics and, uh, and the pundits have really kind of just been putting Josh Allen on the real, on the trajectory of upper echelon the quarterback. So even got to the point where he was saying like, he was one of the best, if not the best in the NFL at the moment. But, of course, that buck got stopped in uh, Tennessee yesterday, but. Josh Allen, the Bills, at 4-1. I think that team has played very well. And, you know, the division where they've been chasing New England for all those years, for the last few years under Brady, and then now they have caught the Patriots, and we'll just have to see how the rest of the season plays out um, amongst New England and Buffalo. And even Miami, too. Uh, the Dolphins have played well. Um, the, the shelling they gave the 49ers on the West Coast, uh, they played better than than I've expected as well. We'll get uh, your final thoughts on NFL when it comes to your former quarterback, Mr. Cameron Newton. Now with the New England Patriots, unfortunately, he did have a case of the COVID, so we uh, didn't get a chance to see his uh, quarterback duel with Patrick Mahomes last week. But just your thoughts uh, after, I guess, uh, two to three games worth of Cam Newton as a starting quarterback of the Patriots. He's played well, and 
I'm definitely, you know, glad that he's back on the field, healthy and playing at a top level. And, you know, and I'm really glad that the Belichick cam dynamic hasn't been ridiculed or, or questioned. I think they have a positive working relationship. I think that Josh McDaniels has uh, been doing a good job with what he has with Cam. Um, and then, and then um, I think also that kind of gives Josh McDaniels a little bit more freedom to do, do certain things that he couldn't really do with Tom Brady uh, in the years Brady was there. I definitely want to say that Panther Nation needs to let the fact that Cam is gone, they need to let it go. There are still Panther fans that are still hurt by Cam's departure. And initially, I got it. I understood it because we didn't know what the heck was going to happen. But we do have a great quarterback playing very well at the moment as well. And we just need to embrace that as well. So I did want to just get that out there for Panther Nations to let Cam go. Cam is in New England and Teddy Bridgewater is the man in Carolina and just enjoy what we have right now. All right. So there's a little bit of uh, NFL talk. Then we're going to transition over to Major League Baseball. They're in their playoffs as well. We're in the uh, League Championship Series, the National League and American League, as we have the Rays up two games to none over the Astros and the Braves up two games to none over the Dodgers. Um, some the Dodgers are up 12 nothing right now. Yeah, they're playing seven consecutive games in a row, which is uncalled, which is unheard of in the playoffs. Um, so there's going to be some interesting pitching matchups, and this is probably not the day, not the game the Braves wanted to see. Um, Especially in the first inning when they gave up 11 runs. <laughs> when they have to uh, burn through uh, their bullpen when they're searching for a starter for game four. So it uh, looks like the unless we have just some unforeseen uh, occurrences. Looks like the Dodgers are going to get on the board this afternoon, uh, get one of those games back. I think, surprisingly, Tampa Bay uh, over the Houston Astros in the form and fashion that they have won so far is kind of the biggest story coming out of the championship series. Um, Houston is having a bunch of fielding errors, Al- Altuve especially, and the Rays are getting good pitching and good hitting, and uh, they're kind of just moseying along. They defeated the Yankees in an epic game seven. Um, they haven't shown a lot of fear to any of these teams so far, even though they're the small market, you know, good story team. Uh, they feel like they belong, and they're definitely playing like it. Yeah, and I definitely, you know, me being a bitter Mets fan. However, the Wilpons are leaving, so... I'm definitely glad for that. And hopefully Steve Cohen can find a way to end Bobby Bonilla day. Um, <laughs> no, it's never going to happen. <laughs> you would be a fool to take any type of lump sum. Because guess what? It don't have 365 days worth of interest on a lump sum. Times, <sighs> times whatever years it's been. <laughs> The best deal ever, dude. If uh, note to anybody, if you're in negotiations and somebody offers you a deferred payment, even if it is only like a million dollars a year for the next fifteen of those years, don't sound like a lot now, but take it because it will be by the time you get to year thirteen, fourteen, and fifteen. Oh gosh, but, he's, got like, he's got like five more, four more years ago. I think so. And I, the day that happens, I will pop a bottle of champagne. <laughs> <laughs> July 1st, Bobby Bo gets his, gets his nearly $2 million every July 1st. Uh, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, back to, back to the playoffs, though. Um, 
I really think that um I really think that that um the Braves they've they've been playing lights out um this whole series and it's uh and even through the wild card and division series I really was a fan of the expanded format. I think that's what makes it more disgusting how you had 16 teams, but you can't make the playoffs. But, uh, however, it is something that uh, Atlanta's been playing well. The Rays have been playing lights out. Uh, You know, I think everybody wants the Astros to – lose anyway. I think they're probably one of the most hated teams in baseball anyway. Um, and and so you know, seeing the team that's better, and I'm glad the Yankees got eliminated as well. Um, but for for the fact of the matter that I really thought the Dodgers and Braves was going to be more competitive through the first two games when Atlanta took the first two games in LA but you know as of right now the Dodgers just jumped out and said okay enough of this um, and Kershaw could be possibly coming back for game four um, I just think that it's going to be I think the Dodgers find a way to come back and I'm saying this hoping the Dodgers come back. Uh, last thing I need is another NL East team in the World Series. Um, <laughs> but I think uh, unless the unless the um, Astros pull the Boston Red Sox, then, then um, you know, the Rays are on their way to the World Series. So, Did you like the format of the playoffs with the 16 teams the wild card round I I was a fan of that I think it I think baseball is one of those sports where there's more unpredictability uh, from lower seeds or lesser teams I mean there's teams that you know who are going to be there but there's a lot more unpredictability has that NHL kind of feel of a series versus the NBA. I think the NBA kind of we know who's who goes who goes where in each round versus versus uh, the NHL is more predictability. I think sixteen teams definitely gives plenty of teams opportunity to to uh, try to make the playoffs. I think they. Sh- I think it should be something they could consider going forward uh, I like the first round wild card best of three then you know you get the best of five division series and then the LCS and World Series stay at seven so I was a fan of it definitely yeah I think that it's a definitely a needed change to um, the way that they've done the Major League Baseball playoffs for so long um, they added the wild card round, the wild card game, which I think is just unfair because, I mean, it's not the way baseball is played. You don't play games one at a time. You play them in a series. So I thought that having a whole wild card uh, round series was really good, best out of three. Um, and I hopefully they can incorporate that next year once things uh, get back to normal and they, you know, have the regular season start back up on time and things like that, that that's one of the changes that they implement because I thought that made for a very exciting uh, couple of days of baseball where you had like eight games on one day. felt kind of like the NCAA tournament. So I don't think baseball has had a buzz like that about their postseason in a long time. So um, good job by baseball changing over the format and things like that. Um just turn it over to you for a final thought or anything that I might have missed that you want to touch on uh, since there's just been so much going on uh, with um, all the sports basically being active at the same time. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, shout out to the Tampa Bay Lightning uh, winning the Stanley Cup this year in the NHL bubble. Uh, they, as we know, a year ago, they literally collapsed. Um uh, 
being the best team and imploding uh, in the first round of the series a year ago. They go all the way to the Stanley Cup final this year. Uh, they take out the Dallas Stars in six games. So uh, second Stanley Cup in team history. Uh, definitely wanted to give them a shout out. Uh, shout out uh, on a sadder note, a uh, shout out to uh, my aunt who uh, passed away of cancer. She was a huge sports fan, huge fan of the podcast. Uh, definitely wanted to uh, make sure that I got that out there. Uh, and uh, definitely was one of my biggest supporters. Uh, you know, definitely will miss, I definitely miss getting a random text about about a game or the games uh, definitely wanted to say that um, going to Philly on Saturday for her funeral, which is also my birthday, but as bittersweet as it is, I mean, I'll be able to see my family, which I've never got to do uh, celebrate with my extended family like that. So um, definitely want to shout her out and uh, the last final thought I have, uh, Liverpool won the Premier League, their first um, English top flight title since 1990. Uh, the new season of the Premier League started already in September. Um, the other Liverpool team, Everton, is actually out in front right now. So that's been a surprise in the, uh, in the uh, footy world as well. All right. Thank you. Uh, condolences to your family and you and your family about your aunt. Uh, uh, sorry to hear about that. Glad that we could uh, provide her some entertainment with the podcast. That's always uh, cool to hear uh, people's family members being fans of the show. So uh, definitely will be uh, in our thoughts and prayers this weekend. Um, when you go up to uh, to to her memorial, um, just want to give a shout out to Dwayne here for joining me once again on Know the Score. I guess my final kind of thought would be um, Michael Jordan getting into the NASCAR realm. Uh, him and Denny Hamlin have decided to partner up and form a NASCAR team, and they've chosen Bubba Wallace to be their driver. Uh, so Bubba Wallace, uh, very outspoken uh, during the. Uh, racial injustice of the summer and the protests and everything like that um, got you know much higher profile. Probably brought a lot of eyes to the sport that um, made a lot of change to NASCAR as well uh, with his help. So Bubba Wallace is now being partnered with Danny Hamlin and Michael Jordan to uh, further his career in NASCAR. Hopefully this all works out for him. Um, he's at a very kind of crossroads of his career. He's about to be 27, I think. Um, he hasn't won a race yet. Um, he's going to a second um, NASCAR team, and hopefully, you know, they'll have the funding and the resources uh, to make him, um, you know, a real factor for wins and uh, playoffs and championships uh, for the next foreseeable future. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, where this partnership goes next year, starting at the Daytona 500. Um, don't be surprised if Bubba Wallace doesn't win that race. Uh, the last couple of restricted plate races, he's had the lead coming down with a handful of laps to go. Just hadn't been able to, you know, close it out. But he's actually improved in that style of racing. And uh, that would be an awesome story if Michael Jordan's first race as a cup owner uh, in NASCAR, team owner, they win the Daytona 500. That would be Bubba Wallace's first win as well. So uh, just something to look out for next February when uh, their season comes back around again. So like I said, shout out to Dwayne. Shout out to everybody here on the CSPN. Thank you for listening to Know the Score and all the shows here uh, during the pandemic that we've uh, been putting up to WrestleCast, The Push. Um, rock solid radio as well so glad to be back talking some sports with Dwayne we'll try to do this on a more regular basis uh, since NFL is uh, you know heating up college basketball looks like it's going to be around the corner college football as well we'll probably get into that a little bit deeper on the next episode um, it's reported that Nick Saban has just tested positive for the virus so uh, thoughts and prayers out to Nick Saban and all his friends and family and coaches and everybody who's been around him in the past couple of days 
So uh, forever changing landscape when it comes to these sports. Who's going to play? Who's not going to play? Who's going to – what game is going to be canceled, shifted around? So uh, we'll try to keep abreast of everything here and get back on track on Note to Score. Once again, Dwayne, thanks for listening. And now you know the score.